Right, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks very much for coming to listen to me. Um, I thought I'd start by sharing with you a, a, a little anecdote. Um, about three years ago, I returned to Japan after spending some time in the United States, and I arrived at Narita Airport. And as I'm sure you know, there are different gates at Narita Airport for Japanese and foreigners to enter the country. And I've been living in Japan most of the time for 30 years, and it's been fascinating to note how the labeling of those gates has varied over the years. Uh, it used to be fairly straightforward. There was the gate for Japanese, and there was the gate for aliens. And I was an alien, and that was that. Um, then, um, uh, as the rights of um, foreigners began to be taken a little more seriously, uh, we reached the point where, um, where um, permanent residents were allowed to use the same gate as Japanese people. And I really enjoyed that because even, even if there was a shorter queue at the foreigners' gate, I would always go in the Japanese gate, hoping that some elderly Japanese man would say,
on a sad hangdog expression. I'm going to have to go to the back of the queue again. I go, hi, I carry master. I turn to go, and she says, Oisogashi desuka? Oisogi desuka? Are you in a hurry? Ma, itte miruba tasho isoirinasyo. Yes, as a matter of fact, I am in a bit of a hurry. And she said, <laughs> All right, you can use this guy. So, okay. Um, so she took my passport and she was just about to start uh, processing it when another thought occurred to her. And she said to me, Sumimasen, Ushiro ni, ano, Nihonjin to Tokubetsu Ejusha ga matiru no de, karere wa kore de yoroshika, choto kite mimasene. I'll just make sure that the Japanese and special permanent residents behind you and that you don't mind me doing this. She stood up from her desk and すいません。この人はと永住者ではあるんだけど、特別永住者ではない。しかし、かなり多すぎなので、このゲート使ってもいいですか大丈夫ですかねあの、of uh, course, all the, were they Japanese? Were they resident Koreans? I do not know. All those people behind me in the queue, about seven or eight, and we're going, uh, 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 as you would. I mean, you don't often get asked that sort of question by an immigration official. And um, anyway, no, nobody, nobody said, nobody said, damn it, is. So, so she said, Jat, so you caught it. And she started processing my passport. And after about a minute, a kind of old man came up and said, Dorigoraiji kan ga kakarimasuka? How long is this going to take? I said, ah, punde orimasu yo. It'll only take two or three minutes. And he said, so this go. He went back to the queue, and, uh, and I was allowed to enter Japan through the Japanese uh, en uh, 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 gate. Well, um, what a fascinating encounter. And um, it made me think, you know, there's something that this is, you know, okay. I know you're not supposed to say that Japan's unique, but I can't imagine that encounter happening in too many other countries. Uh, and, um, uh, and the interesting thing about it was that in this encounter, th this encounter was all about um, who's a member of the club la roughly labeled Japan and, and who isn't. Uh, and I was in this kind of liminal position, hovering in the grey zone. Actually, I sh should have been on the outside, but um, you know, uh, clearly, sh uh, this immigration official felt a little uneasy about this and ended up with this bizarre compromise. Um, on the other hand, it's interesting to note that Zainichi Koreans, permanently resident, uh, permanently Japan resident Koreans. Um, in this uh, in this system of things, are not on the on the outside, uh, gaijin foreigner side. They're on the inside. They're, uh, that's very clear. They're they're categorised along with Japanese and other foreigners are not. And uh, this is where uh, this is just a small example of the kind of thing that sort of irritates uh, some of the far right people in the. Zaitokukai uh, that we're going to be talking about tonight. In fact, um, Sakurai Makoto, the uh, founder and leader of Zaitokukai, uh, in, in, his, in his writings, uh, which I've made a big effort to read, um, really enjoys attacking 
the Japanese uh, legal systems for discriminating against non-Korean foreigners. You know, things like Koreans getting to use the same gate as Japanese, but other, for other foreign permanent residents not. That is racism. And he, he you know, you can tell he really enjoys um, uh, taking this kind of slightly trendy, progressive-looking stance when he's supposed to be a very untrendy, old-fashioned, and, and uh, right-wing. Uh, and... Um, <coughs> uh, uh, and... Um, uh, it's uh, impossible not, for someone like myself, it's impossible not to think, I, you know, I'd quite like to be treated the same as those special permanent residents. Um, I know I don't, I know my ancestors uh, were not made to work as slaves in munitions factories, but that was quite a long time ago. Can't we, could we not move on uh, from this? And, um, uh, and so I, you know, I sort of half agree with with Sakurai-san about this. Uh, actually, yeah, I do want us permanent residents to also be allowed the same pr privileges. The only the only difference between me and him is he wants those privileges abolished for all the Koreans, uh, so so that he he wants them to be uh, disenfranchised or, or or excluded from rights to put them in the same position as other foreigners. Whereas I think you know other foreigners should be given some of they're right, so it's a matter of whether we're talking about leveling up or, or leveling down. Anyway, uh, after this incident, I um, had a conversation with um, my good friend Robert Ricketts, who's a professor at Waco University, and uh, who was, you know, 25 years ago, he was arrested for taking part in the anti-fingerprinting movement um, because uh, he, of his powerful sympathies as with the Korean minority in Japan, a movement in which I also participated. I was a fingerprint refuser for about three years. None of us ever thought that that... Um, that the fingerprinting would actually be abolished, and it was a, a big surprise to us when uh, it did happen. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, <coughs> uh, he was like the hard core of the non-Korean anti-fingerprinting movement, and I was the soft underbelly. Um, I, I never did time like he did, so, uh, so of course I respect him tremendously. So anyway, I told him this incident, and I said, what do you make of this, uh, Rick? Uh, um, uh, why, why, why do we have this 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 bizarre uh, situation in, in which different kinds of uh, foreign nationals get uh, treated differently on a little thing like which gate you use at the airport? And he said, "Oh well, it's quite simple. Um, this is part of the Japanese state's 100-year program to assimilate Koreans into Japan and turn them into Japanese, and uh, and think and all these special rights, uh, including the, the, the uh, what, you know the airport one that I just mentioned, are part of an extremely slow, a glacial process to very gradually turn Koreans into Japanese." Uh, a, a process which about half a million Koreans continue to resist to this day. Um, uh, uh, what uh, I mean, what Rick said, I mean, you, you may disagree with it. There's a lot to discuss here, uh, but I certainly do have the impression. Uh, well, I'm, uh, this is not very controversial. I think that that there's something in the Japanese bureaucratic mindset 
that can't deal with in-between things, uh, things that are both A and B, um, either you're Japanese or you're a foreigner. Uh, hence, no dual nationality. If the, Jap if the government <coughs> of, if the Japanese state recognized dual nationality, um, as they do up to the age of uh, 22 at the moment, but if, if they recognized it for all of us, a lot of these thorny political uh, and social problems would go away. But um, b because Koreans could be both Korean and Japanese, uh, as it is, uh, they are forced to choose uh, either remain Korean or become Japanese, but not both. Uh, why not both? I mean, there are lots of countries around the world where, where, where both is perfectly possible. Uh, and, uh, and yet, um, that mindset persists. And we've seen this in many other aspects of immigration and uh, policy on foreign nationals. Uh, for example, uh, the long-standing uh, policy of forcing uh, Koreans and Chinese to adopt Japanese-sounding names when they naturalize. You can't have a Japanese with a name like Park Eun-chul. If you want to be Japanese, have a Japanese name. That seems totally obvious to most uh, Japanese uh, immigration officials and totally ridiculous to, um, to me and, and, and probably a lot of us. Well, um, Although I've been involved in these issues for a long time, my, uh, I, I'm not really qualified to deliver the keynote for this uh, uh, event. Uh, my only publication that's, uh, that's directly relevant is, uh, is not even my own work. It's my translation of uh, Professor Fukuoka Yasunori's book, uh, Wakai Sed, uh, Zainichi Chosenjin Kankokujin Wakai Sedai no Identity, uh, which he published in Japanese in 1993, and I translated as Lives of Young Koreans in Japan in 2000. Uh, that book uh, is, of course, quite dated now, but I still think that um, it's a very good uh, way into studying Koreans in Japan, not least because it's one of the few books on this topic that covers all the, or, well, not all, but makes an effort to cover a wide range of the different kinds of Korean in Japan, unlike, for example, the works of Sonia Ryang, which, although very interesting, uh, are, are focused almost entirely on North Korean or Chongryun-oriented uh, uh, Koreans. Um, I suspect there are, uh, most of you in the audience know at least as much as me, if not more, on this topic, but uh, just give me uh, five minutes to very quickly um, run through the, the what I think are the key points about uh, Japan's Korean uh, minority. Uh, first of all, um, uh, 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 well, when people start studying this problem, problem, one of the things they, they often ask is, well, are they North Korean or South Korean? Uh, uh, you know, forgive me if you know all this already, but uh, uh, over 90% of the Koreans who live in Japan uh, originate, or their families originate, from the southern half of Korea. Although, of course, when they or their ancestors came over to Korea, uh, it was before the end of World War II, and, there were, and so the Korea was still a single country, and the concept of North and South Korea uh, didn't exist. Um, and uh, so uh, that's geography. 
Then, as for uh, politics, um, it used to be that uh, a strong majority, in, uh, uh, over over three quarters uh, of the Koreans living in Japan in the post-war period, uh, were sympathetic with North Korea. Uh, they didn't accept the um, American-backed government in South Korea. Uh, they preferred. Uh, they they believed in. Uh, this is gross oversimplification. Sorry about this. They believed in the the workers' paradise that Kim Il Sung was building in in North Korea, uh, and um, so th they, and that when they constructed schools and and other cultural infra infrastructure in Japan, it was on the assumption that uh, the uh, sometimes stated, sometimes unstated, that Korea in, it, and effectively meant North Korea and that South Korea was a kind of capitalist aberration. And Kim Il-sung had, had, uh, had been a guerrilla re leader fighting against the Japanese, so there was a sort of natural sympathy uh, be, uh, bec because these people felt that they too were being uh, oppressed by the Japanese. And... Um, uh, well, as the decades went by and things changed in the Korean Peninsula, South Korea became more democratic, North Korea uh, became more autocratic and, and uh, hard to accept and, and, ec and economically uh, did worse. Because in the 19, you know, when I was a, a high school student in the 1970s, I was in the school debating club and we would debate capitalism versus communism and I'd always be in on the communist side, of course, and, 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 and I'd be uh, uh, advocating uh, North Korea as being better than uh, than South Korea, and it, you know, for a young sort of lefty sort of s school kid in those days, it was possible to believe that. However, um, uh, gradually it became um, more and more difficult to support uh, North Korea, and at the same time, the Japanese government uh, made it more and more advantageous to take South Korean uh, citizenship rather than North Korean citizenship. Most obviously because uh, they uh, they they set up diplomatic relations with uh, South Korea, which they still don't have with North Korea, and th so. Uh, it, um, so in addition to geography and politics, uh, we, uh, another uh, factor in the mix that we have to consider is convenience. And so um, it became more and more convenient to have a South Korean passport, and you couldn't get a passport anyway if, if, you, if you took North Korean uh, nationality. Um, uh, in, in fact, North Korean nationality is an oversimplification because what with the n no uh, North Korean embassy in Japan and, and no passport issuing or authority, uh, uh, they're in a, a, a state, a, a sort of semi-stateless condition. Anyway, just uh, to put some figures on this, in, 1950, in 1955, about 75% of the Korean population in Japan had North Korean nationality. In 1969, it was about 50-50, and by 1992, it had gone the other way, and it was about 75% South Korean, 25% North Korean. And since then, it's moved further in that direction to the point where um, something like uh, in the uh, something in the mid to high 80% of Koreans now uh, have South Korean nationality. Now, uh, at the same time. Uh, many Koreans have have naturalized, and they've been naturalizing at the rate of about 10,000 a year for uh, for about 25 to, to 30 years. With the, and the result is that we now have, um, roughly speaking, about 500,000 people who still have North or South Korean nationality, mostly South. Uh, we also have a further 
300,000, 250 to 300,000 who are, who are ethnically Korean but naturalized Japanese. And in addition to that, we've got their children and the offspring of mixed marriages between uh, Japanese and Korean uh, nationals. Uh, depending on, how on which definition you choose, uh, if you're talking about ethnicity, you'd be looking uh, at well over a million people who are in some sense or other uh, Korean in Japan today. Um, and um, uh, because of these three categories, these three separate categories, geography, politics, and convenience, uh, it's now the case that there are many people in Japan uh, who have a Japanese passport or a South Korean passport, but their heart may still relate to North Korea. And when I say that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they uncritically approve of the North Korean regime, but it is still where they feel their, their cultural uh, identity to be best expressed. And uh, here we come up against one of the most intractable uh, problems in this issue of how uh, cult ethnic culture and political affiliation relate to, to each other or do not. Uh, and uh, uh, that's particularly so in the case of Korean schools. Um, uh, as you know, uh, there are well, there are about 65 uh, Korean schools in Japan at the moment. Uh, a lot of them are, 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 are mixed elementary and middle school, and a few are mixed middle and, and high school. Uh, but they are all affiliated to Chongryun uh, or Chosen Soren, which, is, which represents north-leaning Koreans in Japan. Um, I know many Korean people who sent their kids there. Not because they, th they believe that the North Korean regime is, is wonderful, but because it's the only place they can send their kids where they can learn the Korean language, uh, learn history from a Korean perspective. Um, it, it is, in fact, a North Korean uh, perspective. Uh, um, and, um, you know, there are only four uh, South uh, uh, Mindan-affiliated, if you like, South Korean uh, schools in Japan. Uh, a uh, couple in Osaka, one in Kyoto, one in, in, in Tokyo, and they don't, and, and I, I think I'm right in saying that the language of instruction is Japanese and Korean is taught as a foreign language there. So it's a totally different experience from the Chongryun Korean schools uh, where uh, Korean is the language of instruction. Well, when Professor Fukuoka uh, published uh, that book, uh, The Lives of Young Koreans in Japan, in 1993, uh, there were about 150,000 school-age uh, Korean nationals in Japan, of whom about 20,000 were going to Korean schools, about 13%. Um, <coughs> today, um, the number of schools uh, has roughly halved. Uh, he, he adds them up to about 150 schools. Now there are 65. Uh, a, a lot of them have been scrapped or, or merged. Uh, and uh, their total number of students is probably in the area of five to 6,000, so down from 20,000 uh, 20 years ago. So we're talking about a very small and dwindling minority. Uh, those numbers mean that the average Korean school in, in Japan only has about 100 uh, students, and many of them have, have fewer than that. Uh, and so uh, the smaller the school gets, the more of a sort of siege uh, mentality uh, and sense of crisis comes over the Korean movement. Uh, 
Um, the four Mindan schools are still there, and it's since 2008 we've also had the interesting uh, Korean International School, or Korea Koksai Gakuen, founded in 2008 uh, in Ibaragi in northern Osaka, uh, a, a, an interesting attempt to create a non-political Korean school uh, where they actually use um, North Korean, South Korean, and Japanese textbooks. Imagine, imagine <laughs> studying the same historical incident from the Japanese colonial period from, through those three sets of textbooks. And I imagine you get a really a very unique and fascinating education there. Uh, however, it, only ha it ha doesn't yet have 100 students. They've got about 90 students at the moment. Uh, right. Um, uh, so that's just a few brief key points about um, the Korean mi minority in Japan. Uh, in this uh, presentation, I, I will attempt, uh, a f a f as best I can, a detached and objective analysis of the social phenomenon of hate speech against the Korean community in Japan, uh, attempting to tease apart a number of discursive strands that are frequently mixed up in the public debate on this very emotive topic. The recent upsurge in concern about hate speech has been largely focused on a relatively new right-wing group, the Zaitokukai, founded in 2007, but only making a really big impact in the last couple of years, and their inflammatory street demonstrations in Korean neighborhoods. The group claims a national membership of 14,000, although they generally struggle to muster a couple of hundred for their street demonstrations. The Zaitokukai's most recent publication is a book of interviews with founder Sakurai Makoto entitled Zaitokukai Toa Zainichi Tokken o Yurusanai Shimin no Kai no Shouryaku Desu, which translates into English roughly as Zaitokukai is an abbreviation meaning the Citizens Association that rejects special privileges for Japan resident. Koreans, and notice that he just uses this word zainichi, which when translates into English as, as, a, as an adjective, Japan resident. Well, ironically, it means roughly the opposite of that, because these are people, they're not resident in Japan so much as born, bred, and lived in all their lives in Japan. So that the, the you know, the, 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 um, the vocabulary associated with this problem uh, is, is part of the problem itself. Anyway, um, and so he doesn't make it clear whether he's talking about um, North or South or all Koreans. Uh, again, uh, in English, we, we have this word Korean. Uh, in Japanese, uh, it's, uh, you have Chosenjin, which if effectively has come to mean North Korean, uh, and uh, Kankokujin meaning South Korean. And this is why Professor Fukuoka's book has this extremely cumbersome title, uh, the, the Japan resident North Koreans and South Koreans, the, the identity of the, the young. That would be a literal translation of his title. Well, go, go, coming back, uh, and so I think we're seeing a gradual increase in the use of the katakana term Korean, which, uh, which saves people a lot of trouble when they're trying to talk about ethnic uh, issues as opposed to political ones. So anyway, going back to Sakurai's book, as his pedantic title indicates, um, uh, 
his argument is that his organization has the limited and specific objective of eliminating the legal apparatus which gives special privileges to members of Japan's Korean community. And he even says in this book that he would disband the Zaitokukai if and when these privileges were removed. Um, that's, this is one face of the Zaitokukai, uh, of, that of a pressure group lobbying for the correction of what it sees as a social injustice. And it's worth noting that, it, that in this book, he does not demand repatriation of Koreans or other foreigners, merely a fairer system of justice. Um, However, if you read on into the book, uh, you soon realize that um, thing, th th things are not quite as, cl as clear as they seem. But for example, <coughs> he, he doesn't see any need to repatriate uh, Koreans just because they're Koreans. Once the law is changed so that they are treated the same as other foreigners, namely if you commit a serious crime, you get sent back to your home country. Uh, that, that is one of the differences between a per permanent resident and a special permanent resident in Japan. And of course, the reason why th this, this was brought in was because Zainichi Koreans, many of them effectively do not have a home country to, to go to. I mean, they don't speak, many of them do not speak Korean, and they're, effect they're Japanese in, in, for most intents and purposes. Uh, however, according to Sakurai, if, the, if this unfair distinction between foreigners like myself and foreigners like the Zainichi Koreans were to be removed, uh, since most of them have committed hideous crimes, they'd all be deported to Korea anyway. And that is an example of the sort of um, schoolboy uh, rhetoric uh, and, and debating uh, style of Makoto uh, Sakurai, Sakurai Makoto. So anyway, uh, that, that uh, position of the, that limited, uh, 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 limited political objective, concern with fairness, uh, is um, uh, uh, only skin deep at most, I, I believe. And the other face of the Zaitokukai, and probably the reason why we're here to tonight, is the violent hatred expressed against Koreans in Zaitokukai demonstrations, describing Koreans as vermin, cockroaches, calling them for them to be killed, and the displaying of fascist symbols, uh, including the Nazi swastika alongside uh, the national flag and, and the rising sun flag of the Imperial Navy and various other nationalist symbols. Just a minute. <laughs> So, um, one might um, expect, one might expect the leadership of Zaitokukai to make some attempt to distance itself from these extremist displays. Indeed, there is a long tradition among the leaders of far-right groups and the Yakuza to blame uh, acts of violence on the youthful excesses of a few fringe followers. In a slightly similar way to the way that the Chinese government uh, often uh, ascribes anti-Japanese demonstrations to, um, uh, what's the Chinese word? Uh, um, um, uh, reckless, hot-headed hot youths. That is a kind of traditional um, uh, style of justification. Uh, and, um, uh, and of course, in the case of Yakuza, um, you know, it, it can extend to acts of murder. I mean, ah, my, my, my uh, overexcited young uh, underlings uh, let their, let their 
a temper run away with them. They'll do, they'll do time, <laughs> no problem. Uh, that, that, that is a traditional Yakuza way of dealing with, with, when they, with um, serious crime that, they get, that gets pinned on them. Um, however, in this new book, Sakurai notably refrains from condemning uh, the pe uh, that sort of language. Uh, he does not dissociate himself from hate speech, preferring to call for what he calls battling against the anti-hate speech forces. Uh, hate speech, hanzai sei ryoku ni taishite tatakao. Uh, that, that double negative is only one tiny semantic step away from calling for a battle in favor of hate speech. Thus, he clearly seems to spurn the conventional defense that what his group is doing is not hate speech, but merely a focused political campaign against perceived injustice and a, and a few youngsters have, have, have broken the party line. Instead, uh, he effectively implies that the Zai Tokukai is engaged in hate speech and that there is nothing wrong with hate speech. And I think there is a significant difference between those two rhetorical strategies. This is a very defiant extremism which revels in notoriety and controversy. Um, let me give you a couple of little examples from the Zaitokukai website, uh, which uh, anybody can, can uh, view freely on the internet. Uh, example one, uh, I take this from the instructions for participants in a demonstration that is actually scheduled for February the 16th, Sunday week. Uh, and, uh, and it's actually got the place where they're going to meet. It's a park in, um, in uh, Ikebukuro. And um, uh, so... It's kind of interesting. This is a new development. They've just recently put up this calendar. They call it a right-wing activist calendar on their website. And it means, it's, of course, it's going to be easier for sympathizers to get along to their events. It's also going to be easier for the opposition to get along. And we can expect some interesting Barneys in the, uh, uh, in the near future, uh, I think. Anyway, um, the ins there are lengthy instructions uh, about how to behave yourself in this demonstration. Um, uh, and the theme of the demonstration is op opposing anti-Japanese discrimination. Another double negative. It's, one, it's another feature of the rhetorical style. Uh, and basically, the demo is going to denounce the Japanese government for issuing um, uh, grants to overseas students uh, and contrasting that with the uh, repayable loans, which they say is all that is available for poor Japanese students, especially the poor ones from the Tohoku disaster area who uh, are, are you know, a, good, uh, a good sort of uh, symbol to contrast with these, uh, for, with these foreign students. Anyway, in the instructions it says, and I quote, Nihonjin sabetsu no teppai o utairu demo desu no de, shine korose nado no koru wa fuyo desu ga, dandan demo tai ni, uh, uh, sorry, uh, wareware demo tai ni, bougai o uh, which roughly translates as, because this is a demo calling for an end to anti-Japanese racism, there is no need for calls such as die or kill. However, exceptions may be made in the case of any anti-Japanese racists who attempt to disrupt our, di our demonstration. 
Uh, here's another example. This time it's an excerpt from a letter to the publisher of Gendai Yogo no Kiso Chishiki, uh, this popular uh, almanac, uh, and, and which includes several references to Zaitokukai, all of which the Zaitokukai violently objected to. And this particular one uh, uh, goes like this. this. This is part of their protest letter. Page 1125, it's a big book. Zaitokukai... Uh, Zaitokukai naru dantai ga yoi chosenjin mo warui chosenjin mo minna korose nado to sakebi nagara Tokyo no shin okubo ya Osaka no tsuruhashi nado hate speech demo o okonao yoni natta no mo ten 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 to aru ga yoi chosenjin mo warui chosenjin mo minna korose to wa sankasha no prakaudu no no mongen de ari sore o May not night. The article accuses us of holding hate speech demos, shouting, kill all the good Koreans, kill all the bad Koreans. But that was merely a slogan written on one of the participants' placards. And we have never made it one of our main themes. Um, so in both these experts, excerpts, you can almost sense the deliberate rejection of an opportunity to sound respectable. A reader unfamiliar with the Zaitokukai style might expect the demo organizers to ask participants to refrain from shouting slogans calling to kill foreigners or ask them to die. And indeed, there is plenty of advice on other aspects of demo behavior, calling on people not to show up drunk, not to bring their pets, not to join in halfway through, not to shout random things that disrupt the rhythm of the sprech core call and response chanting, etc., etc. But no, the message does not ask people to refrain from uh, telling foreigners to drop dead or, or to be killed. It merely says that these slogans might be slightly off-topic for this particular demonstration. And in the second excerpt, you might expect Sakurai to emphasize that the vicious anti-Korean slogan does not represent the views of the Zaitokukai, but no, he merely states that wanting to, all, to kill all the Koreans is not one of their main themes, implying, of course, that he is happy for it to be considered a, a sub-theme, or at least a point of view that they respect. And uh, so it's a kind of an interesting question whether he realized realizes just how uh, horrible that makes him appear and, and wh whether this is uh, naivety or whether it is studied. Um, uh, my kind of, I, I really don't know the answer to that question, my in instinctive feeling is, is probably uh, naive and uh, I don't, I'm not convinced that this guy knows what he's doing but maybe others know more than me. Um, I've just realized that in the next paragraph of my presentation, I give the opposite answer to that question. Um, uh, <laughs> it is a difficult one, you know. Uh, I was going to say my instinctive answer is knowingly. Um, there is an unmistakable tone of glee in Sakurai's rhetoric. He knows that most mainstream people will be shocked by his position, and he enjoys knowing that. Well, there you go. I contradicted myself. You, <laughs> you can figure out which of those opinions strikes you as more convincing. Uh, let me 
digress for a moment to glance at the topic of death and killing in Japanese conversational discourse. Anyone who has lived here for a while and knows the language will probably have been struck like myself about the casualness with which many Japanese people allude to death and killing. In British English, a strong way to express dislike for a person is to tell them to fuck off. Excuse me. <coughs> the nearest Japanese equivalent would be shine or drop dead. Uh, it is interesting that British terms of abuse often reference sex, while Japanese ones often reference death. Japanese will also say, Korosuzo, bukorosuzo, I'll kill you, or I'll fucking kill you for that. And they sometimes say that in quite a friendly way. But crosses are, you know, among friends, you know, um, and I, t I've, I find it um, disconcerting. Um, um, can't they just tell me to fuck off, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in slightly the same way as I also find it disconcerting the way Japanese people constantly call each other liars. You know, uh, the, you know the, somebody says something a little surprising that you find hard to believe in English, you say, oh, come off it, really? In Japanese, you say, so, that's a lie, you know? And, and so, and so the, the barriers between um, what's uh, taboo and what isn't are, seem to be kind of interestingly different. Returning to the death theme, a couple more examples would be dead instead of out in baseball, ishi, nishi, one out, two out, but literally one dead, two dead. Heisatsu, a double killing, a double play in baseball, and in football, of course, G sats a 10, an own goal, but literally a suicide goal. The latter did cause some concern around the time when the J League was uh, launched, and it was a bit, what, with a high suicide rate, and it was officially renamed Own Goru. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that the discursive barriers around taboo topics vary widely from one culture to another, and here in Japan, the barriers around the theme of death and killing uh, seem to be rather low. Uh, despite the fact that the actual homicide rate here is very low. Uh, that is not to excuse the Zaitokukai, but uh, just to suggest one possible explanation about how they come to use such uh, outrageous language. Still on the theme of the gleefully naughty strain in Zaitokukai rhetoric, here's a rather different example from a recent statement denouncing US Ambassador Caroline uh, Kennedy for her criticism of Japanese Dolphin culling. This is a very recent news item. It says, Risu kui no yabanjin, kakko beikokujin, in case you didn't know, ni irukaryo o toyakaku iwareru tsujiari wa nai, kojika no bambi o uchi korosu yabanna beikoku no fushu o arateme o which translates something like squirrel-eating barbarians, in brackets, Americans, just in case you didn't know who squirrel-eating barbarians are, have no right to lecture us on hunting for dolphins. America, you barbarian country, you shot Bambi dead. Reform your customs. Huh? Actually, um, the Amer Americans didn't shoot Bambi dead. They, sh they shot Bambi's mother dead. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I think they should get their facts right. Anyway, as it, as it happens, on this particular occasion, the target of the rhetoric is the USA rather than the more usual Koreans. But the theme is characteristic. It's tit for tat. You're our dolphins, you're squirrels, you're Bambi. Uh, and um, uh, here we have a possible another possible way in to understanding the Zaitokukai. 
Nowadays, anti-Japanese rhetoric is a commonplace in many parts of the world, but especially China and South Korea, uh, and, and North Korea, I believe. The rhetoric used against Japanese people in those countries is often just as violent, if not more so, as anything you will hear at a Zaitokukai rally. Especially in the last couple of years, demonstrations calling for all Jap beasts to be killed have become commonplace in parts of China, and they are sanctioned by the state, at least to the extent that security forces allow the placards to be used, whereas they will be immediately confiscated if they uh, criticize the Communist Party of China or some other, carry some other message that isn't approved. Uh, and these angry slogans are typically ascribed to thinking angry youths with that slightly patronizing Yakuza-like distancing strategy by older or more respectable people. Calling for Japanese to be killed is also commonplace in South Korea, and the issue broke into the media in 2005 when a Canadian visitor happened to notice some drawings by elementary school children on display at uh, Gyulhyeon Station on the Incheon subway line. Um, Quote, the crayon uh, sketches from the students of Gyeyang Middle School depicted, this is immediately after the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Takeshima Dokdo problem had uh, again broken into the news. The crayon sketches from the students at Gyeyang Middle School depicted uh, Japan either awash in flames or getting bombed, stabbed, or stomped. Warlike South Korean stickmen attacked bloodied Japanese stickmen. Skulls and crossbones and burning flags were prominent motifs, along with the words kill, die. Uh, James Card uh, writing a journalistic account of that incident in the Asia Times in 2005. Well, that is significantly worse than anything we've seen in Japan, because it's been done in, I believe, a state-run elementary school where teachers have been instructing pupils to create violent anti-Japanese images and then approving of them so much that they put them on display uh, to the general public. That's very different to how the Zaitokukai relates to the state in Japan. Uh, as for North Korea, well, calling for the annihilation of entire races and nations like Japan is no more than a regular turn of phrase on the national TV news. Looking on the bright side for a moment, I heard it said by academics working in China and South Korea that, uh, that, stu that uh, their students actually get on quite well with students from Japan and they, they forget about the blood-curdling rhetoric when they're going out for a drink uh, with uh, the Japanese exchange students. Um, uh, so that um, leaves the quest, leads us to the question: How wide, how wide is the gap between saying "death to all Japanese Koreans" and actually, or Japanese or all Koreans or all Chinese, and actually seriously wanting to kill them? Right now, my sense is that the gap is good and wide, and I don't think we're going to see the Zaitokukai making a serious effort to kill Koreans, uh, and I hope we won't see uh, the converse happening in China or South Korea uh, anytime soon. So I think that, that it is rhetorical, we should remember that, that gap is wide, but it but it won't necessarily always be that wide. It could get narrower in future. Uh, we have to follow this issue carefully. The way people talk and the way people behave are two quite different things, but they do influence each other. And reality can come to resemble nar narrative given enough time. Uh, I'd like to reference Roger Goodman and Kirsten Refson. Uh, 
referencing ideology and practice in modern Japan for more on this theme of the interaction between uh, practice, actual practice and, and ideology. Anyway, here is part of the Zaitokukai appeal. In Korea and China, it is commonplace and officially approved to condemn Japan and call for Japanese people to be killed. Mild-mannered Japan never says anything back. And except for North Korea, Japan still has relations with these unfriendly countries and even gives them money in the form of overseas aid projects or scholarship for their students. And all this at a time when China has overtaken Japan to become the world's second biggest economy. And South Korea is doing better than Japan in several other economic indices. Um, when it comes to whaling and dolphins, the anti-Japanese demonstrations are in America and Europe rather than East Asia or, and in Australia and New Zealand, uh, of course, Sea Shepherd. But the hurt is there too because this is felt as an assault on Japanese people's eating habits, a very fundamental part of one's culture, highly hypocritical coming from countries that kill and eat all sorts of other animals and have a random cultural objection to one particular breed. A lot of Japanese people now feel that their country is being used as a kind of international punch bag, with not much being done by their own government in response. But nationalism and patriotism is still associated with the militarist and imperialist adventures that led to disaster in World War II, and so has been very difficult to express in post-war Japan. International surveys consistently find Japan close to the bottom when it comes to expressions of patriotism. Uh, 71st out of 74 countries surveyed in one study in 2001 that, that I happened to, to have to hand. Um, in his 2001 book, Hegemony of Homogeneity, Harumi Befu argues that Nihonjin Ron, or theories of Japanese uniqueness, emerged in part as a kind of culturalist substitute for patriotism in post-war Japan. Unable to beat one's breast and unable to, to salute your national flag or sing your national anthem without having complicated feelings, Japanese people turned to cultural uniqueness as an oblique expression of patriotic pride that was not overtly political. Uh, we still see this kind of thing in such uh, things as the fad over omotenashi, the designation of Mount Fuji as a UNESCO world national and cultural treasure, etc., etc. Uh, these are sort of um, cultural substitutes for political, uh, for a more political kind of patriotism or nationalism. But that kind of thing does not satisfy everyone. And of course, people under the age of 70 have no memory of the wartime and pre-war period anyway. Also, Japan's economic miracle, which confirmed that Japanese culture was not just unique but also superior, has given way to the two lost decades since the bursting of the bubble economy. Therefore, the culturalist compromise observed by Befu is starting to crumble, and we have fertile ground for the emergence of a more primordial style of patriotism. Hence, I would argue, the emergence of the Zaitokukai. They have tapped into the psyche of a certain kind of Japanese person who is fed up with being kicked about and can no longer be bought off by material wealth and the feeling of being part of a general middle class. See the numerous writings on widening inequality for Byodoka, the differential society, Kakusa Shakai, and working poor, poor or working poor. Let me just, uh, I'm overheating here, hang on a sec.
That's better. You must always maintain a cool, uh, cool head when discussing topics like this. Um, okay, uh, let me try and put a, a few a, a few dates on this. Uh, and um, I, starting in 1989, with the fall of the Berlin Wall and the death of Emperor Hirohito. The collapse of communism changes the global political landscape and removes or greatly weakens the biggest single hate object of right-wingers in Japan and many other countries. At the same time, the death of Hirohito removes a major focus for the right in Japan to rally around and for the left to rally against. And we've seen a steady decline in both right-wing and left-wing activism uh, ever since then. Um, um, yeah. Uh, 1990, the bursting of the bubble economy, Nikkei stock index collapses, starts have lost two decades, and there are about 1.2 million foreigners in Japan, including 100,000 illegal. And over the next two decades, uh, well, in particular over the, next, um, uh, over the next 12 or 13 years, the number of foreigners in Japan doubles uh, at the same time that the Japanese economy tanks. Uh, slightly uh, unexpected from in conventional economic terms, uh, but um, there's always a, a big a big lag between economic uh, developments and people's uh, response uh, to it, and and so part of the kind of mix that has brought us to the emergence of the Zaitokukai is this confluence between uh, economic decline and an increasing uh, foreign um, presence in Japan. Uh, I believe. Uh, 1991, creation of the immigration law category of special permanent resident. You see how these events all happened in a very short period of time, around the turn of the 80s to 90s. So uh, this, th this uh, term, special permanent resident, uh, Tokubetsu Eijusha, covers people who lost their nationality under the terms of the 1952 San Francisco Peace Treaty and their descendants. And as of 2011, there were some 390,000 people holding this status, and 99% of them were Korean, uh, uh, with either South or North Korean nationality. And this is the main source of the Tokken, or special privileges, that the Zaitokukai rail against. Uh, 1992, abolition of the fingerprinting requirement for special permanent residents uh, to be followed much later in 1999, seven years later, by abolition of fingerprinting for, for regular permanent uh, residents um, uh, and even, and indeed, non-permanent residents in Japan. We, we, nowadays, we have our signature on our Gaijin cards rather than our fingerprints. Uh, 1993, Japan's foreign population peaks at 1.6 million, including 300,000 uh, illegals. Uh, it's the peak here for illegals. Uh, the, the illegal population continues to, to grow. 1999 is a very interesting year. A new law makes the Hinomaru and Kimiao official symbols of Japan, and the government starts work on legally enforcing respects of these symbols. The mayor of Hiroshima commits suicide in protest. Uh, and note in passing that in most countries around the world, the flag and anthem are not legal symbols, but not mere, but merely customary. And it's and it's uh, uh, it, it speaks to the complexity of feelings about patriotism in Japan that the government has to feels this need to legally enforce patri patriotism. And as you know, in some in some cities, notably Osaka, it's it's got to the point uh, w w under Mayor Hashimoto, uh, it's got to uh, if he as he was until the other day. Uh, 
uh, he's disappearing down the plug all of history quite quickly, I'm glad to say. Uh, anyway, um, it, it, what was I saying? Uh, where, uh, where you actually have um, you know, people from the Education Committee checking up to make sure that you really are singing the uh, national anthem and not just lip-syncing it. Um, uh, uh, anyway, also, uh, but it's, it's kind of interesting to see how the Japanese state has gradually moved towards a more liberal treatment of foreigners at the same time as trying to impose patriotism on its populace. Uh, end of the fingerprinting requirement in the same year that the Kimigaiwa and Hinomaru law gets passed. And I, can re I well remember that year and thinking, oh, wow, I don't have to give my fingerprints anymore. What? What's this with the flag and anthem? Uh, uh, actually, uh, a lot of that can be traced to, to one guy, Nonaka Hiromu, a very interesting politician, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave him for now. Also in that year, that interesting year of 1999, we see the launch of Two Channel, an internet uh, site which is well known for hosting no-holds-barred discussion on every topic under the sun, and which is especially associated with virulent ad hominem attacks and rightist, racist rhetoric. Actually, this kind of thing probably accounts for only a tiny, tiny percentage of two channels' vast traffic, but it has gained that association through a series of scandals and legal cases. So, fast-forwarding a little bit, 2004, revisions of the Labour dispatch law, legalizing dispatch agencies for blue-collar factory work, the last bastion of casualization in the Japanese workforce, uh, confirms the establishment of a large and growing workforce enduring low wages and stripped of the security and fringe benefits uh, associated with the workforce of the Japanese uh, miracle. Um, uh, some of these people start to feel disenfranchised. It, it's no longer possible to consider yourself middle class when you're unemployed or, or, or you know, doing the night shift in a convenience store and you're already 36 years old. Um, and you know, the, the, the situation where each generation was likely to do a little bit better than the generation before has finally gone. Uh, and so these disenfranchised people look around for someone uh, in a lower position than themselves, they light upon the Korean minority, and they then realize that those people have some rights that they do not enjoy themselves, such as being allowed to use an alias on certain legal documents, for example. Um, <coughs> in fact, in fact, if I think I'm right in saying that the Zainichi Korean population is, uh, is just in the process of losing one of those rights, because under the revised... Um, uh, the revised um, nationality law, uh, you have to have your, your real legal name on your Gaijin card. It's got a different name now. But it, uh, until last year, or it's now the year before last, and until the 2012 revision uh, of that law, um, you could actually choose whether to display your Korean name, your Japanese name, or, or both on your card. And that's an example of the sort of privilege that outrages the Zaitokakai because it means that theoretically you could sort of use a different name to get loans from two different companies and they wouldn't be able to check your credit records because you're using different names. That's a typical example of the sort of thing that they go on about. And then on the, the uh, also in that year, the Ministry of Justice launches a campaign to halve the number of illegal immigrants uh, uh, with a big crackdown on visa overstays, and it's actually succeeded in doing that. Um, the number of illegal, uh, the number of visa overstayers, uh, whether that corresponds exactly to illegal immigrants depends on 
what you think about Fujian freighter ships and a few other things. But anyway, the number of visa overstays after peaking at 300,000 is now down to somewhere in the region of 60 or 70,000, so it's, it's more than halved. Uh, and 2005, Shimane Prefecture declares February the 22nd to be uh, Takeshima Day. Uh, it's the centenary year of the taking of uh, Takeshima Dokdo, the Liancourt rocks, by the Japanese Navy during the Russo-Japanese War. And this creates a new rallying point for the far right in Japan, as well as provoking even stronger anti-Japanese sentiment in South Korea. And in 2007, the Zaitokukai is founded. That's where uh, we come in. Uh, 2009, foreign uh, national population peaks at 2.3 million and has then started to decline. Uh, and um, uh, uh, and by 2012, uh, we're down to 2.1 million foreign residents uh, in, and just 67,000 illegal. Uh, uh, and many of the Nikkei Brazilians have gone home, some with their airfares paid by the Japanese government, and the crackdown on overstayers has been extremely effective. Uh, that takes me up to roughly the present. The net result of all these recent historical developments has been to create a large, disenfranchised minority of Japanese people and to emphasize the special status of Zainichi Koreans among the foreign minorities in Japan. At the same time, these 20 years have seen the spread of the internet. All observers agree that this is an essential element in the emergence of the Zaitokukai and their ilk, and they are often referred to collectively as netto uyoku, or internet rightists. The internet allows people to express themselves anonymously and to communicate with large numbers of other people they may never have met. As such, it provides an intermediate space in between shutting up and keeping your thoughts to yourself and going out on the street and shouting through a megaphone. Uh, there is no risk of being identified or beaten up by those you attack. Also, the advent of online streaming and uh, <coughs> YouTube means that you can watch the activities of those who are out on the street campaigning and participate vicariously. The popular internet site Nico Nico Doga is very important in this respect. Uh, this site allows viewers to post comments online while the demonstration is going on. So that what the viewer sees uh, is a video of a Zaitokukai demonstration uh, with words saying, uh, that's right, Gambare, literally streaming right across the, the video uh, image. Uh, and while you're watching it, you can click in, and seconds later, you will see your words, die Korean dogs going across the screen right in front of you. That's quite an interesting, worrying development, you know, and, and, and it really does create an, an intermediate space between staying at home uh, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, shutting up uh, and going out on the street. And that's a potentially a very dangerous zone. Um, uh, let me see. Hence, one can gradually increase one's degree of participation. You know, before, either you're at home staying out of it or you're out there on the street. Now, there's this kind of way, th there's this intermediate uh, place that enables you to make the transition from one to the other. 
Um, and in a heavily conformist society like Japan, where most people hesitate to do anything out of the ordinary in public, this provides a way to move into social activism gradually. And that is true of the left as well as the right. And, uh, you know, um, it's, it's a big part in the anti-nuclear power rallies um, and the big demos against the um, official secrets law uh, as well. Cyberspace creates an intermediate zone where people can try out their opinions and check out what others are doing and saying. The Zytokokai are very much aware of this and they make heavy use of the internet. In fact, some of their demonstrations have minute numbers of people attending in the flesh, a dozen or less in some cases, but a much, much bigger online audience. Thus, the chanting and slogans become a performance and the message, arguably, is meant principally to be heard by sympathizers and interested parties online, at least as much as by the Koreans or other minorities whom the slogans condemn. And this helps to explain the strangely playful, gleeful style of Sakurai and his sidemen that I've mentioned. It also helps to explain the big disparity in numbers between the 15,000 members claimed by the Zaitokukai uh, nationally on, on their website and the couple of hundred people, uh, which is the most they can muster for a demo. By the way, you do not have to pay any money to join the Zaitokukai. Just register an email address. Even if the Zaitokukai is telling the truth about its membership, those 15,000 people do not necessarily have a strong commitment to the group. And an unknown number of them are, in fact, opponents, journalists, and researchers using aliases. Me, for instance. Uh, um, so, th so that number uh, needs to be treated uh, with great caution. People often ask whether the Zaitokukai are a slightly modified extension of traditional right-wing groups or whether they represent something totally new. My answer would be more like the latter, t something new. My sources suggest that maybe 20%, this, this is a, a semi-informed rough guess that might be wrong, uh, but uh, that maybe about 20% of the people who attend Zaitokukai rallies are also members of other far-right groups, some of which have a formal relationship with Zaitokukai. But most of them are not like that. They are new to right-wing activism, many of them recruited via the net. And one striking difference between them and other right-wing groups is the prominence of women. Until recently, the far right was an almost exclusively men-only club. But a number of the higher-ranking Zaitokukai officials are female, and they march in prominent positions at Zaitokukai rallies. In part, this is uh, just another aspect of the studied performance that the Zaitokukai prides itself in, but it is nonetheless real. And it may be worth notice, noting that some of the groups that oppose the Zaitokukai on the streets have an arguably more macho coloring. Uh, one of them is even called Otokogumi, or Gang of Men, and they're going to go out there and jolly well punch in the faces of the Zaitokukai. Um, and, um, and by the way, just a, a very small aside, some of the Korean people that I've talked to about this issue um, thought, uh, uh, I mean, this is a rumor, um, and, and I doubt whether it's actually true, but, a lot of th but anyway, a lot of them believe that large numbers of those people in the Zaitokukai rallies have actually been paid 
to go there. They're, they're paid actors. Um, uh, and, well, it it's wouldn't be at all surprising if there were, um, you know, powerful, uh, wealthy uh, sponsors uh, slipping money in the Zytokokai's direction. Um, but some, uh, you know, I, I would like to see more evidence before I treat that as anything more than a, uh, a rumor. The Zytokokai also differs from traditional rightist groups in their concerns. Traditional rightists have a long-established set of issues, such as revering the emperor, revering Yaskuni's shrine, opposing the peace constitution, opposing communism, demanding the return of the northern territories from Russia and of Dr. Takeshiba from South Korea, etc., etc. Interestingly, expelling all the foreigners from Japan has not been a regular feature of far-right demands. In part, this reflects their pre-war legacy. Many of them still espouse a form of pan-Asianism, somehow believing in some version of the greater Asia co-prosperity co sphere and seeing Koreans and Chinese as fellow Asians, inferior perhaps, but not necessarily as, as enemies. That line in which uh, the yellow man is rescued from the white man's imperialism by uh, the heroic Japanese leadership. In contrast, the Zaitokokai show relatively little interest in most of the issues mentioned. They don't seem to be particularly interested in the emperor, Yaskuni shrine. Most of their activity is focused rather tightly on the issues on the issue of foreigners in Japan, especially Chinese and Korean, and even more especially on Zainichi Koreans. They are the first far-right group, perhaps, uh, <coughs> well, considering there are thousands of far-right groups in Japan, uh, this is, actually, this is probably a wrong statement. I was going to say that they, uh, perhaps they're the first far-right group, major far-right group, to have an overtly racist ideology at the heart of their raison d'etre. In this sense, they resemble European far-right groups more than Japanese ones. Uh, it may not always have been so. Arizona University professor Nathaniel Smith uh, is an anthropologist who's been studying Japanese right-wing groups for many years. He knew many members of the Zaitokokai in their early years, the two or three years from 2007 onwards. He does not recall them as being more noticeably racist than other racist groups. Indeed, there were ethnic Koreans among the members. Um, uh, according to another authority, uh, Yamaguchi Tomomi at the uh, University of Iowa, the first vice president of Zaitokokai was a resident Korean. And she writes, I'm, I'm quoting her paper here, uh, the ACM, that, that stands for Action Conservative uh, Movement, movements, Yamaguchi's translation for Kodo Surubundo, a sort of umbrella group for net uyoku groups. Phew. The ACM accepts uh, resident Koreans uh, as members as exceptions, non-threatening minorities who are willingly patriotic to Japan. Um, uh, people who when you first start studying this, it, may, it comes as a bit of a surprise to find that you've got Korean members of a virulently anti-Korean group. Um, I should mention that it's a fairly well-known fact that far-right groups here in Japan tend to have a number of Koreans in their membership. No doubt some conceal their identity, but others do not. And this speaks to the complexities 
of Zainichi Korean identity. Likewise, there are quite a few members of the Brahmin minority, descendants of the old outcast group in far-right groups. The same goes for Yakuza gangs, which overlap with some parts of the far-right. For some Koreans, it is a defensive action to show their loyalty to their adopted country. For others, this is an extension of Yakuza membership, which in itself is a source, a source of income. Yakuza do not hesitate to recruit Koreans, unlike some of the more respectable employers in contemporary Japan. Incidentally, there are persistent rumors that Sakurai Makoto himself, the leader of Zaitokai, is an ethnic Korean. Interesting, it's just like Hitler was a Jew uh, all over again, really. I honestly have no idea if there's any truth to that. He, it, it, he was born into a relatively poor household in Kokura, now part of Kitakyushu, which does have a substantial Korean population, but more I cannot say. Anyway, the question arises, if Smith is correct and the Zaitokukai were not as horrible as that, as this, as they are now in the early days, how and when did they become like this? Smith is inclined to trace it to the transition of Zaitokukai activities from the internet to the street. It may have been fairly relatively rare to use violent racist rhetoric on the street in Japan, but it has been commonplace on the internet for a couple of decades. So the originality of the Zaitokukai lies in the way it has taken vilest rhetoric and spread it from the internet to the street, and particularly to the streets in Shinokubo and Tsuruhashi, where a lot of real Koreans are likely to hear it. You can certainly call it the tip of an iceberg. Note, however, that the iceberg has always been there. It has just recently bobbed one tiny corner above the surface. So. Uh, for me, the 200 guys on the street in Shinokubo are actually much, much more significant than the 15,000 online uh, members. Um, I'm going to stop in a minute. I'm sorry I'm over time here. Uh, a third difference between Zaitokukai and traditional writers is in their campaigning style. The far right in Japan are closely associated with Gaisensha, the large black sound trucks in which they cruise the streets, blaring martial music and right-wing diatribes. But the Zaitokukai make relatively little use of sound trucks, mostly walking along the street in conventional demo style. What is the significance of that? Well, um, uh, in, uh, Smith, uh, in a brilliant paper published last year, describes his field work with a far-right group which included riding in their black soundtracks a number of times. When you see a fleet of a dozen of these menacing vehicles proceeding slowly down the street in convoy and blaring martial music, you may well feel as if you're looking at an army. But what Smith learned was that very often each truck has only one man in it. Yes, all the men in that formidable procession could easily fit into a medium-sized camper van. Their style is like a peacock puffing out its breast and spreading its feathers. There is much less than meets the eye. This tactic has helped to conceal the embarrassing truth, which is that most of these far-right groups have been steadily declining in numbers for a couple of decades now. Uh, some police statistics. 1965, 550 far-right groups totaling 120,000 members. Uh, 2010, 4,860 groups, totaling 13,400 members. In other words, we've got nine times as many groups uh, with a total of one-ninth the membership. Uh, so that speaks to a, 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 a tremendous fragmentation and decline uh, in the far right. Uh, and, it, it, and what it means, by the way, these 4,860 groups own a total of 3,890 vehicles. So it's roughly 
what a typical, the average far-right group has four members and one truck. <laughs> That's what those statistics means. There has been a corresponding fall in the number of violent incidents and arrests involving far-right groups. And incidentally, the, sto the story is the same, only more so for far-left groups. So let's pause there and reflect that the Zaitokukai are not by any means the product of a sustained ultra-right-wing surge in Japan. On the contrary, they are a fairly rare exception amid a general picture of declining far-right influence on society. So maybe that is a reason to be cheerful. Thank you very much.